Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Nick from Part-Time Pilot, and welcome to the Audio Ground School Podcast. If you're just joining us, welcome in. I usually do a couple announcements of things going on in the part-time pilot world, things that can help out student pilots, things like scholarships and other opportunities, and then we get straight into the online ground school lessons. For those coming back, thank you for coming back. I appreciate your loyalty and for listening. Now, last couple episodes, I've mentioned a podcast called So There I Was. It's another aviation podcast, and it's all about having really distinguished guest on and telling these really cool aviation stories. So if you liked the episode I did on the SR-71 Blackbird story, this podcast is just stories like that, but from the actual people who encountered these situations. And I just, I'm curious if anybody out there has listened and what you think, you can email us at team at parttimepilot.com if you've listened to that podcast, because we want to give out good recommendations that we think you guys will like. And I think this one is a really good recommendation, but, but let me know. And then I just listened to one of their episodes that I really, really loved. So check out that one. It's called 50,000 feet and nothing working but my watch. So that one, that's a great title really <laughs> tied me in and that's why I listened to it, but also it was a really, really good episode. So go and check that out. It's called, so there I was podcast. All right. Well, with that said, the only other thing I want to talk about, you know, we're just chugging along, helping students pass their FA written exam. As of recording this, I just recently did a live lesson for our online ground school students on things that have changed about the FA written exam or what really has changed or are they just rumors? You hear a lot of people say that there's new questions or that the FAA is changing these things. So what exactly is the FAA telling us? What are they changing? What's the feedback we're getting from our students? So we just had a live lesson to inform our students of those updates, make them fully prepared for that. And then now that recording of that live lesson is in the online ground school. So for those of you that missed that live lesson who are listening to this and in the online ground school, go and check that out inside your online ground school. If you can't find it, email us at team at parttimepilot.com. All right, now the last thing I wanna mention is we're about a month away from Oshkosh. Again, I will not be able to make it to Oshkosh, but I know a lot of you guys are gonna be there. And we're actually, we did a little cool kind of fun thing this year that we're trying out. We sort of got together a team of people that are gonna wear some part-time pilot t-shirts and and try to make themselves some money. So just uh, asking, any student pilots there if they want some free pilot training and just kind of talk about part-time pilot with no pressure so if you see someone with a part-time pilot t-shirt on it's these black t-shirts with a cool like neon at oshkosh go up say hi to them 
say you listen to the podcast, blah, blah, blah. I think that would be really cool. So anyways, that's it for the announcements today. We have a really big and important lesson today. I think it's just going to be one lesson on this one because there's a lot to it. And that is weight and balance theory. We go into a lot in the weight and balance theory because that is the most critical to understand the actual theory of it all. Yes, it's good to be able to do the procedure, but now we have like electronic E6Bs for flight so that when we get to flying, you know, you're going to need to know the procedure for the FA written exam. You might get a question or two on, you know, on weight and balance and you're going to need to do it for your check ride and show your examiner that you can do it. But then once we become pilots, you know, we're going to be flying the same plan. We're going to have an understanding of what our weight and balance already is. And if we don't, we're, we're always going to calculate it in a tool like ForeFlight or electronic E6B. The very most important thing that the FAA wants you to know and what I want you to know is the theory of weight and balance. Why it matters, what can change, change the weight and balance, what can change the CG, what that does to the aircraft in flight, all that stuff, all the sciencey type stuff behind it. We're going to try to break it down easy for you guys to understand as best as possible. But this is probably the most important lesson in the weight and balance section. Yes, you got another procedure. Yes, we'll go through some examples, but let's really get clear on the fundamentals of the theory. So without further ado, let's get to that lesson on weight and balance. All right, so if you're following along in the online ground school, we're in the, the private pilot lessons course. That's step one, online ground school private pilot lessons. So click on that, go down to section 11 on weight and balance, and we're on lesson one, weight and balance theory. Okay, so the first thing you should do when planning a cross-country flight is determine the CG location of the expected load on your aircraft. You may find that you will need to take less passengers, less fuel, or less baggage after performing the weight and balance. If you need to take less fuel to get the CG inside the operating envelope, then you may have to plan a fuel stop to refuel your aircraft. So this is why we want to do it first. If you plan all your cross-country checkpoints before knowing if your CG is within limits, you may cause yourself a huge headache and end up having to redo all your work. Trust me, I've done this. So those students out there, learn from my mistakes and plan ahead and do your weight and balance first. Before we begin discussing aircraft's weight and balance and the procedure, let's go over a couple of definitions first. So the definitions I wanna talk about are stability, static stability, and dynamic stability. Stability is the tendency of an aircraft to develop forces that restore it to its original condition when disturbed from a condition of steady flight. Okay, so the ability to be stable as an aircraft is for that aircraft to have a tendency to develop forces that restore it to its original level flight condition. So when you disturb it from level flight, the aircraft creates has a tendency to create its own forces to get it back to level flight without you doing anything. That's stability. The next thing is static stability. So there's two types of stability, there's static stability and dynamic stability. Static stability is the initial tendency that the airplane displays after its equilibrium is disturbed. So we mentioned stability is, you know, it's disturbed and then its ability, the aircraft's ability to put itself back in level flight. Now, static stability is that initial tendency that you see when it's disturbed. Okay, so you have a positive static stability, a neutral static stability, or a negative static stability. A positive static stability is best illustrated as when an aircraft in straight and level flight hits a bump of turbulence, causing the nose of the aircraft to pitch up but immediately returning to level. Okay, so we have an aircraft in straight and level flight, hits a bump of turbulence and the nose pops up, pitches up, but it immediately returns to level. This would be a positive static stability because its initial tendency is to return 
return to level, so that's positive. Neutral static stability is best illustrated as when an aircraft in straight level flight hits a bump of turbulence, causing the nose of the aircraft to pitch up and then remains there unless the pilot intervenes. So you're flying along level flight, you get a bump of turbulence, it pitches your nose up, and if you don't touch the yoke, push the yoke forward, pitch down, it's just gonna stay there. That would be a neutral static stability because its initial tendency is to just do nothing and stay there after it's been disturbed. A negative static stability is best illustrated as when an aircraft in straight and level flight hits a bump of turbulence causing the nose of the aircraft to pitch up and it continues to pitch up until the aircraft stalls or the pilot intervenes. So it goes further away from steady flight, right? That would be a negative static stability where it just continues unless you intervene and pitch down. It's just going to continue. That's negative static stability. So positive, you get out of equilibrium and immediately wants to put you back into equilibrium. Neutral is it's out of equilibrium and it just keeps you there. Negative static stability is you're out of equilibrium and it continues to get worse and worse. All right, so that's static stability. Dynamic stability is the overall tendency that the airplane displays after its equilibrium is disturbed. So we just said, okay, what's the first move it does Instead, static stability, we just talked about what's the first move it does, right? Positive static stability, we're disturbed, and the first move it does is it comes back. Or negative static stability, it's disturbed, first move it does is it gets worse. But what happens over time? That's the dynamic stability, the overall tendency of the air displays. So again, we have positive, neutral, and negative dynamic stability. Positive dynamic stability is a property that dampens the oscillations set up by a statically stable airplane, enabling the oscillations to become smaller and smaller in magnitude until the airplane eventually settles down to its original condition of flight. Think of a plucked guitar string. Once plucked, the vibrations of the string will eventually come to a stop because of some damping forces. And those are usually like when you tighten the ends of the strings on the guitar, the tighter you make it, the, the more damping effect it has. So when you pluck that string, it's gonna vibrate, but slowly those vibrations back and forth are gonna get smaller and smaller and smaller until that string is no longer moving and you're no longer getting a sound from your guitar. That is positive dynamic stability. When over time, these oscillations from equilibrium get less and less and less. So on an aircraft, our aircraft example, when we said, okay, you're flying along a level flight, you get a hit of turbulence and it pitches the nose up. So positive static stability would have that nose pitch back down, uh, but it might go down too far where now you're pitched down and you're not in level flight. But then again, if it has positive static stability, it would then pitch back up, right? And it would go up, down, up, down, up, down. But if you didn't have also dynamic stability, that's what it would, it would just continue to have positive static stability, but it would continue to be in a pitch up condition to a pitch down. Pitch up, it would continue to oscillate around your equilibrium. Then we add a damper or a positive dynamic stability and that uh, oscillation gets smaller and smaller. So maybe you pitch up five degrees at first from the turbulence, the aircraft corrects itself. Now it's down to pitch down five degrees. And so then it pitches itself back up. But now the next time it's three degrees, then it pitches down and now it's down three degrees. And the next time it's one degree and then it pitches down one degree and then continues those oscillations smaller and smaller until, you know, after a certain amount of time, a couple minutes, you are back into equilibrium without even having intervened or touched the yoke at all. All right, hopefully that made sense. So that's positive dynamic stability. Neutral dynamic stability means the oscillations remain unchanged. 
The guitar string is plucked but never stops vibrating. That's what I just described in the aircraft where if it has positive static stability, right, it's going to correct itself from the pitch up and then it's going to overcorrect itself. And so then it'll pitch down, but then it'll oscillate. Pitch up, pitch up. So five degree pitch up corrects itself to a five degree pitch down, corrects itself to five degree pitch up, back and forth, back and forth. And it would never get smaller oscillations because it has no dynamic stability or it has neutral dynamic stability. Or it's a guitar string that's plucked and never stops vibrating. Negative dynamic stability is actually also called dynamic instability. It means the oscillations will tend to increase. So you pluck your guitar string and the vibrations become larger and larger in amplitude until finally the string would just break off the guitar. So it's out of control oscillations. And in your aircraft, this is obviously very bad, right? So let's say again, we're flying along, hit some turbulence, it pitches us up five degrees. We have a positive static stability. So it immediately pitches us back down, but now it pitches us back down too far to like maybe six degrees pitch down. Then it corrects itself to pitch up. And now the oscillations are getting bigger. Now it's seven degrees pitch up, then back down, eight degrees pitch down, and then back up nine degrees. And it keeps going and going until you just get out of control and you end up stalling or crashing your aircraft because it's just these wild swings and oscillations that keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So that is negative dynamic stability. All right. So the most desirable type of stability for aircraft is both positive, dynamic, and static stability. I'm sure you could guess that after our examples, but obviously you want positive static stability and you want positive dynamic stability. So just think positive is the best and then remember that you have static and dynamic stability, so you want both. And that is something, that's the one key takeaway right there is to remember for your exams as you want, you know, remember what the differences are Static is the initial tendency. Dynamic is the overall tendency to go back to equilibrium and you want both positive dynamic and static stability. So at this point, you might be thinking like, I thought I was gonna learn about weight and balance and how to calculate the CG, but don't worry, I'll feed you baby birds. <laughs> so now let's kind of transition into that and tell you why I had to tell you about stability before I told you about CG and weight and balance. An aircraft like you has a center of mass. Where this center of mass lies along the longitudinal axis of the aircraft, so that's the axis that goes through the fuselage, determines where the force of weight, which is the downward force that opposes lift, is applied. So when we do physics and force calculations on an aircraft, we can apply all the weight and the force of weight at the point of the center of mass. And then the opposite, there's a center of lift, and that has what we also call that the center of pressure. So uh, lift opposes weight. So there's a center of mass where all the weight force is. And then there's a center of pressure where all the lift force is applied. Where this center of pressure lies along the aircraft determines where the force of lift upward and opposing to the weight is applied. The center of mass is determined by different loads on an aircraft, pilot, passenger, baggage, fuel, etc. The center of pressure is determined by the location of the wings, the shape of the wings, and the configuration of the wings, like the angle of attack, flaps up, flaps down, etc. And that determines the different lifting forces on the aircraft and the overall lifting force and where the center of pressure will be where that lifting force is applied. So basically, we have a weight force that is distributed throughout the aircraft, but if we total it all up, we can find a center of mass or a center of gravity where all that weight for one point on the aircraft where all that weight force is essentially applied 
And then opposite to weight, we have lift. We create lift from the wings, from the tails, even from places on the fuselage. We have different drags and lifts. And that changes, you know, the overall total lift and where that center of lift or center of pressure will be applied. So there's one point where we can say that all the lift is being applied. Okay, so there's a one point where the mass, the weight is being applied, and there's one point where the lift is being applied. When the two centers, center of lift or pressure and center of weight or gravity are not aligned, the forces are not aligned and the longitudinal distance between the two points determines the longitudinal stability, that's why we went over stability, of the aircraft. When the two centers are not aligned, the aircraft has what we call a moment. All right, so the relative position of the center of gravity and center of pressure determine an aircraft's stability. I want you guys to remember that, and this kind of ties it together with stability. We're gonna teach you how to find the center of gravity, which is the center of mass, okay? And the whole reason why we do this is we want to make sure that it is not too far away from the center of lift in all different configurations of flight. So whether we have flaps up, flap down, we wanna make sure that center of gravity is not too far away from that center of lift because we know the engineers have designed it to where if it's within the certain distance, we know that the aircraft is designed to remain stable. If it's too far away from the center of lift in certain configurations, there is a high chance that the aircraft is unstable in that configuration. And again, we don't want unstable aircraft. We don't want those oscillations that keep getting bigger and put us towards a stall. We want the aircraft to correct itself and put us back into equilibrium. So this is the entire reason why we do weight and balance. So the same is true for the alignment of two points along the lateral axis through the wings. If the center of gravity is to the right or left because there is a payload attached to the wing, or one wing has more fuel in the wing, then the center of gravity will shift to that side. So we're just talking about longitudinal, but that's really the only thing that we care about because as general aviation pilots, we're usually sourcing fuel from the tanks evenly. So we're not gonna have an uneven distribution on the wings and we're not carrying like missiles or extra fuel on one wing and not on the other wing. So we usually don't have to deal with any imbalances laterally. So that's why we usually just do a center of gravity longitudinally along the fuselage, okay? But usually general aviation, right, will source from both wing tanks to avoid this. I just said that. And because general aviation aircraft usually don't carry missiles or payloads on the wings, again, uh, also just said that. Okay, so for an example, I kind of want to give an example that you guys can visualize and even you could do this example, this little demonstration yourself. Think of yourself balancing a baseball bat on the point of your finger. And we have images of this, step-by-step -step images of this in the ground school if you wanna follow along. So on this baseball bat, there's a point that we've labeled as P and there's a point that we've labeled as CG. On an aircraft, the point P is the center of pressure and that would be the centralized point where lift is acting on the aircraft. So P is the center of pressure and that's the point we're balancing our bat on top of our finger. So right where our finger touches the bat, that is the source of the lift of the bat, right? We're lifting the bat up with a force of our muscles and all that force is applied right on our fingertip where we're balancing the bat. So that's just like what lift is doing to your aircraft. The totality of the lift is being applied at that point of pressure. So that's analogous to our the point where our finger touches the bat. And then the center of gravity is just the center of gravity of the bat. So there's a weight distribution through the bat and where that 
weight is centralized, that's the center of gravity. So if the center of gravity of the bat is in line with this center of pressure, the bat will balance evenly on our finger. So you can try this out. You can try and balance the bat and you'll notice that like if you go too close to the handle, it's gonna, you know, the weight is too forward, so it's gonna tip off. If you go too far away from the handle, it's gonna tilt back towards the handle. So you gotta find that perfect point and it might not even be in the middle of the bat, right? It depends on where that CG of the bat is. Once you find the place where that balances, you have basically aligned the center of pressure of your finger with the center of gravity of the bat. That's the same thing we're talking about here with lift and so where the center of pressure and the center of lift is and the center of gravity or center of weight is on an aircraft. So if our center of pressure, our finger, again, is not in line with the center of mass on the bat, it'll start to lean in the direction of that center of mass. In other words, if the center of mass is forward of the center of pressure, the bat will tilt in the forward direction around the horizontal axis that's around your finger. And if the center of mass is aft of the center of pressure, the bat will tilt in the aft direction around the same axis. The reason behind this is that by having the two centers of forces not aligned, a moment arm or a moment is introduced. So as soon as you have a distance between your center of pressure and your center of gravity, you have what's called an arm. So that is the distance between the two. We call that an arm. And that arm causes a moment. That moment is the desire for that bat to rotate and topple off your finger. That's that moment force. And the same thing on your aircraft. The moment arm, again, is the distance between the two points, center of pressure and center of gravity. And we see this here in the picture. We have sort of now our fingers are not aligned in this picture. So we have a distance between the CG and the center of pressure where our finger is. And therefore we have a moment on the bat and you can see which direction that bat would tip. So note that the horizontal axis is the one pointing directly at you in this picture. So it's the one that goes through your finger. On an aircraft, a balanced center of pressure and center of gravity would cause no movement or moment around the horizontal or pitch axis. So we have a picture now here of an aircraft where the center of pressure is aligned it's somewhere on the wing and then this is a side view of the aircraft and the center of gravity is right aligned directly with the center of pressure on the wing so if you were a giant and you were to just lift up an aircraft with your finger and balance it on your finger and that's your center of pressure is acting as lift right in this regard it would perfectly balance if you placed your finger right on the center of gravity so that's the same thing if our center of lift was there it would perfectly balance and in a similar case, as with the bat, the center of mass or the center of gravity is forward of the center of pressure. So if now the center of gravity is forward from the center of lift on the wings, the aircraft will have a forward moment and will tilt down towards that forward center of mass. In other words, it'll pitch down. And we have a picture of this where the center of gravity is more towards the nose than the center of pressure. So we now have an arm introduced, a distance between the center of gravity and the center of pressure. That causes a moment, and then that moment will make our aircraft want to rotate around the lateral axis that's through the wings, and that is essentially a pitch down. Most aircraft are designed with a moment arm, so they're actually not designed to be perfectly balanced with the center of lift. So most aircraft are designed with a moment arm so that the center of mass is actually slightly forward of the center of pressure. 
in a normal empty configuration. Obviously this changes whether you add flaps or you add a bunch of weight to the back of your aircraft or something like that. But just in general, where when the most common configurations that these designers expect you to fly it in, they want the center of gravity actually ahead of the center of pressure. Let's talk about why that is. So they want this default orientation of the aircraft to be a slight pitch down rather than a pitch up. A slight pitch down creates a positive dynamic stability for the aircraft. Okay, now we're tying back in stability. For example, if flying straight and level in an aircraft with a slightly forward CG, when an updraft causes the aircraft's nose to pitch up, so again, we're flying along straight and level, we get some turbulence, a nose pitches up, into a stall condition, the aircraft's positive static stability caused by the forward CG will make the nose naturally pitch back down. Then the wings and airfoils will create lift in the nose down attitude, which gives the aircraft a positive dynamic stability as it dampens the movement of the nose coming down. The nose will oscillate down and up, but the oscillations will grow smaller and smaller until they are completely gone. Their aircraft has positive dynamic stability. The slight pitch down also provides margin from a stall condition. You'd rather want a slight pitch down in your normal configuration than a slight pitch up where it would tend you towards a stall, right? We don't want that. If an aircraft pitches too far up, the critical angle of attack can be exceeded and the flow over the wings will separate and cause the aircraft to stall. So that's another reason why they configure it so that the center of gravity is slightly forward to the center of pressure. So you have a moment, a pitch down moment in normal configurations. So to keep you away from those stalls. A too far forward center of mass can cause the aircraft to pitch so far down that it makes climbing in the aircraft nearly impossible. So you don't want it too far either. So this is why, well, let me just continue. It would also put a lot of stress on the control surfaces and decrease performance. In landing, a nose-heavy CG condition where the CG is too far forward would make it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to flare and could cause excessive loads on the nose wheel or a nose over condition on a tailwheel aircraft. Now, on the other hand, a too far aft center of gravity can cause, so if we had it too far back, we kind of hinted at this a little bit, it'll cause the aircraft to constantly want to pitch up, making it harder to control. You're always gonna have to be pushing down on the yoke, fighting, fighting the aircraft because you wanna stay away from a stall condition. Aircraft loaded with an FCG are unstable at any speed and can make recovering from a stall or spin extremely difficult, if not impossible. Too far FCG causes a decrease in both static and dynamic longitudinal stability, as well as a violent stall characteristic. If the center of mass is slightly forward and a stall occurs, the aircraft may even recover itself without any pilot intervention, since its default orientation allows airflow over the wings and control surfaces, but with an FCG, the aircraft has a tendency to trend towards a stall condition. So. These are some of the reasons why we want that forward CG. So if you're asked on this, like why do we want, or where do you want the CG in, in relation to the center of pressure? The answer is you want it forward from the center of pressure because you want a natural pitch down moment because that brings both positive and dynamic static stability. And that's what we want in an aircraft. So that would be a perfect answer on your check right. Now let's kind of go back. Now I talked about like how we have how this condition with a forward moment where the center of gravity is ahead of the center of pressure makes us pitch down, why this gives us both positive static and dynamic stability. So our goal, right, is to get both positive and positive static and dynamic stability. So how do we get that from having the center of gravity forward of the center of pressure? Well, the positive static stability is pretty easy, right? So we're flying along at, at level flight, we get some turbulence and it 
pushes our nose up. Well, because the center of gravity is ahead of the rotation point, which is the center of pressure, our aircraft's nose is immediately, its initial tendency, and again, that's the definition of static stability, is to pitch right back down because most of the weight is on the nose. So right there, that's how we get positive static stability. But if we didn't have any dynamic stability, what would happen, right? Well, it would pitch down and then it would pitch back up, pitch down, and it would just oscillate around our level flight, okay? So now we need some sort of surface, control surface, or force to damping force to make those oscillations smaller and smaller. And that force, where we get that from, is the tail of the aircraft, the horizontal stabilizer. One of the main points of this is to have stability and to dampen those oscillations. Because when you pitch too far down, the tail wants to lower back down. It creates less lift on the tail and the tail wants to lower back down, which causes the nose to go back up. And then when the nose goes up, the tail actually creates more lift and wants to go back up. Because it's smaller than the wings, it's a damper. It's not overpowering the wings. It acts as a damper and a stabilizer for the whole entire aircraft. So again, to kind of summarize it all, the forward center of gravity helps us get positive static stability. And then the tail helps us dampen those oscillations to give us positive dynamic stability. So I just want to go back and repeat a couple things I said because they might be things you see on the FA written. I talked about, right, so we want a our center of gravity ahead of the center of pressure, but there's a range where we want it. Or if it's too far aft, we get into trouble. And if it's too far forward, we get into trouble. And why is that, right? So I've mentioned a couple things. If it's too far forward, you know, we want it forward, but we don't want it too far forward. If it's too far forward, when you're landing, it'll be extremely difficult to pitch up and flare. It might even be impossible. So that makes a dangerous condition. You can't really get into the configuration to land. Now, on the opposite side, if our CG is too far aft, we've talked about this, we lose that positive static stability because when we're disturbed from equilibrium, we're not going to get that automatic pitch down. So it's unstable at any speed and can make recovering from a staller spin extremely difficult, if not impossible, because again, it's too far aft, it almost might want to trend towards those stalls. So those are the two things I want you guys to remember for the FA written. Now, all this is why pilots need to know their weight and balance throughout the duration of their planned flight. Luckily, aircraft manufacturers like Piper and Cessna and others, they do the dirty work for you and they provide you with two simple tools to help you check that your center of mass is within safe limits of the aircraft as it was designed. Both are included in the weight and balance section of the approved flight manual or POH for your aircraft. Then they provide you with arm or distances for each position of the aircraft that can carry a weight that is in excess of your empty weight. So they give you the empty weight and the empty CG, right? So if the aircraft was empty, here's the weight and here's where the center of gravity is located. But obviously it's not gonna be empty. You are at least gonna be in it. You're at least gonna have fuel in it. You might have baggage, you might have passengers. So as you add these weights, you have to calculate these arms. You have to calculate the arms, the weights, and the moments, and then you gotta add them up and calculate a new CG with all these weights. So that is the whole process of weight and balance. We'll get into that procedure here in a little bit, but let's continue on with this theory. The empty weight is considered the weight of the aircraft without any payloads. Payloads includes pilots, passengers, usable fuel, baggage, etc. Unusable fuel and oil are considered part of the empty weight of the aircraft as it's all installed equipment. So all the installed equipment, oil and fuel that no matter 
even if you run the engine dry, there's still gonna be a little bit of fuel in the tanks that the tank pumps just can't get to the engine. That's called unusable fuel. So that is also included in the empty weight. If new equipment is permanently installed into the aircraft, then the empty weight should be updated accordingly. Now, this is why, and this happened on a check ride of someone who was at my flight school when I was going through flight training. They used, on their check ride, they used the empty weight from their POH, not knowing the empty weight had been updated in the aircraft maintenance logs because there was new equipment installed and they failed their check ride. So yes, the POH should be updated by the owners of your aircraft with that weight. But if they're not, you gotta, and you gotta check this on your check ride, you gotta check and make sure you have the updated empty weight from the aircraft maintenance logs. The empty weight of the aircraft has an arm of its own. The way aircraft manufacturers measure an arm is different than the distance between the center of pressure and center of gravity. So that's the theory of it. That's how you would talk about an arm with just any sort of object. But with aircraft, it's a little bit different. They don't measure the arm from the center of gravity to the center of pressure. And this is because both the CG and center of pressure can change with different configurations of the aircraft. So they wanna keep what they measure from their arm the same. And then their tables that they give you, their envelopes to tell you whether that's a safe CG position is calibrated for this new reference point that they use. So instead, manufacturers define the arm of each position in the aircraft as a distance from a reference or datum line. So in the theory, I talked about how the arm is a distance from CG to the center of pressure. When you're calculating your weight and balance in an aircraft, the arm is actually the distance from the CG of each payload to a reference point or a datum line. They calibrate it all in the background. So all you need to know, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to think, you know, how do I convert to center pressure, anything like that. It's the same concept. There's still an arm, there's still a moment and all that. All the same math, everything like that. So don't worry about it. But I just wanted to explain that, that it's not actually at the center of pressure. So it's from a datum line. And this is an imaginary line that is usually at the back of the firewall. So that's the wall between the engine and the cockpit. That's usually their reference line. So anything aft of that, right, will have an arm. So you sitting in the pilot seat, you are probably a couple feet, maybe three feet away from that firewall. So your arm would be about three feet. And then same with the passengers, you know, the passenger on to your right, or the passengers behind you, they would have a longer arm. And then you have fuel in the wings, that would be measured from the firewall to the wing, to the wing tanks. That would be the fuels arm. And then you would have baggage in the back, the baggage area, right? That has a even longer distance from that firewall in the front and that, that has its own arm. So we have a picture here of an aircraft. We show the data line right behind the engine. And then we show each of the common types of payloads that you're gonna have and calculate whether you're doing something for an FAA written or for just a training flight, right? You're gonna have the front seat with the pilot or passenger. You're gonna have the back seat. You're gonna have fuel. You're gonna have baggage and you're gonna have rear seat. I don't know if I said rear seat. So all those are gonna be different arms. I show how they're measured from that reference line. Okay, so before we get into how to find the center of gravity and complete the weight and balance for an aircraft, we need to understand the fundamentals of weight, moment arms, and center of gravity with a more simplified scenario. In this scenario, weight is simply defined as the mass of an object in pounds or kilograms. The moment arm is defined as the distance a specific weight is from the balance point. In this situation, the balance point in the middle is our datum line, okay? So 
the arm is always the distance from a datum line. And in this example, the datum line is going to be the balance point. The moment is then defined as the product of a specific weight and its moment arm. To understand this, let's imagine a tiny brass pyramid that comes to a sharp point at the top. Now let's imagine that we put a plank on top of the pyramid perfectly so that it's perfectly balanced like in the figure you see in the ground school. So we have a point, a triangle, and a big long plank on top of it and it's perfectly balanced on that point. For this particular example, we are going to assume that the plank weighs nothing. Obviously this is not realistic and in the case of an actual aircraft, the plank weight is simply the weight, empty weight of the aircraft with its own arm, own moment. Now imagine a block weighing 50 pounds is placed 10 inches to the left of our datum line, that's the, the pyramid point, and another block weighing 25 pounds is placed 20 inches to the right of the point on the pyramid as seen in the figure. So now these type of plank balancing weight things are questions you're going to see on the FA written exam because it gets to the question the fundamental question, can you do the fundamental math of weight and balance and do you understand the theory of weight and balance? So would this plank balance on the point if you added 50 pounds on the left side, 10 inches from the datum and 25 pounds, 20 inches from the datum on the right side? So that depends on whether or not the center of mass of the plank plus the weights is still located directly on top of the pyramid, right? So when we have the plank and we put that right on top of the pyramid so it's perfectly balanced, our center of pressure is the pyramid point that we're balancing on. And the center of gravity, when we get that to balance, will be perfectly aligned. That's why it balances, right? But now when we add weights on top of the plank, we're changing that center of gravity of the plank system. And it may or may not line up with that center of pressure anymore. So the 50 pound weight on the left side is 10 inches away from the pyramid and therefore has a moment of 50 times 10, 50 pounds times 10 inches, which equals 500 pounds inches. So the moment is the weight times the arm. So remember that moment is weight times arm. So M equals W times A. Okay, moment is weight times the arm. So the moment is 50 pounds times 10 inches or 50 pound inches. The 25 pound weight on the right is 20 inches away from the pyramid and therefore has a moment of 25 pounds times 20 inches equals 500 pound inches. So it's the same thing. The two sides have the same total moment and the plank would remain completely balanced. So that's what you have to do on these questions. You have to calculate the total moment on one side and the total moment on the other. If they are the same, that means they're balanced and there is no total moment for the entire plank. So you have a left side moment, a right side moment. You compare the two to find a total moment, right? So if the total moment on the left was a thousand, and the total moment on the right was 500, you would have an imbalance of 500 and it would not be balanced. But if they're the same, they're balanced. So in this case, the 50 pounds, because it was only 10 inches away, it had a moment of 500, but the 25 pound, because it was further away, it was 20 inches away, had also a 500 pound moment. So they were the same. Even a small weight has a big arm and it's really far away from that balance point can still have a big moment. Whereas if you have a big weight and you keep it near that center of gravity, the current center of gravity, it'll have a smaller moment because the arm is so small. This kind of gives you an idea of how putting weight into your aircraft can change the location of your center of gravity, right? So if you want to add weight to your aircraft to take on a trip, you don't want to put it all the way in the back in the baggage because that's going to have a big arm 
from your reference point and it's gonna have a big moment. So you wanna try and keep it as close to the reference point as possible if you don't want to change your CG at all. Okay, so what if we didn't assume the plank weighed nothing? On the FAA written exam, they might give you a question where the plank has a weight. If the plank is perfectly centered on the, the reference point, then it doesn't matter what the weight of the plank is because the arm is zero, right? So if on the FAA written exam, they give you a weight, but it's perfectly centered, such that the plank would balance, you know, per the CG is lined up with the center of pressure of the pyramid, then it, it wouldn't matter what the weight is because there's no arm. So there's no moment for the plank, right? Because again, moment is weight times arm. If the plank has a weight, but it has no arm, if the arm's zero, then the weight times zero is just zero. So there's no moment. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. But the FA written, they like to shift the plank so it's not perfectly centered in the middle on the pyramid. The CG is separated from that center of pressure and therefore it does have an arm that is not zero and it does therefore have a moment. And so we have to calculate that. And we calculate it just as if it were a block right on top of the plank CG. So you can imagine a block on top of the CG that weighs the amount of the plank and then you could just say, you know, the plank is zero pounds. You could do it that way too. All right, so we have a picture of this that really describes this. If you're listening to this and you're confused, I really recommend you know going and checking in the online ground school so you can get a picture of what this is. These are common FAA written questions, so be on the lookout for this. Okay, in the image we're talking about, we see a plank that's not centered and therefore has an arm and therefore a moment which needs to be calculated. Again, this is the exact same thing as a real aircraft where the empty weight represents the plank and it has an arm and therefore a moment. So when you look in the POH or the AFM, the empty weight, is going to have a moment. That means it has an arm. That means the CG of the empty aircraft is not in line with our reference point. So some FA written questions will have a plank with a weight that is off-centered from the balance point like in the figure we're looking at. The moment of the plank will be calculated just like any other weight with a moment arm. Again, moment equals weight times arm. So is this plank balanced? So in this situation, we have the same exact situation we had before. The 25 pounds on the right is 20 inches away from the center point. The 50 pound weight on the left is 10 inches away from the center point. But now the plank itself is shifted such that the center of gravity of the plank, which we're saying weighs 100 pounds, is five inches to the right of that reference point. So we wanna total all the object's moments on the left side and all the object's moments on the right side. So on the left side, the only thing left of the reference point is the 50 pound weight, and it's 10 inches away from the reference point. So the moment is weight times arm. So 50 pounds times 10 inches equals 500 pound inches. So that has remained the same. Now on the right side, we have both the center of gravity of the 25 pound block being 20 inches away from the reference point, and we have the center of gravity of the 100 pound plank five inches away from the reference point. So we have to do this calculation for a moment to both of them and then add them up. So we have the 100 pounds of the plank, which is five inches away. So the moment is gonna be 100 pounds times five inches equals 500 pound inches. Then we have the 25 pound weight, which is 20 inches away. So we do 25 pounds times 20 inches also equals 500 pounds. So we have 500 pounds from the plank um, in moment, 500 pound inches in moment, and 500 pound inches of the 25 pound block so we add those up to get a thousand pound inches on the right side. So now on the left side, we have 500 pound inch of moment. On the right side, we have a thousand pound inch moment. This would not be balanced. To balance the plank, you would have to add 
500 pounds of moment to the left side so that they both have a thousand pounds of moment. So there's multiple ways you could do this. You could do that by adding an additional 50 pounds of weight on top of the current 50 pound weight block so that it is still 10 inches away from the balance point. And now you have a hundred pounds located 10 inches away. hundred times 10 is a thousand pound inches. So that would balance it. Or you could get creative and move those weights around. So what would happen? The right side has a higher moment than the left side. So this plank would tilt or tip down on the right side. It would rotate about that fixed point with the right side tipping down. That is akin to our aircraft pitching down. The nose here might be on if the nose was on the right hand side and we had a nose heavy CG, right? We have a moment that tips our nose down. So that is the basic theory of weight and balance using just planks and weights. I hope you guys understood that it's not completely impossible to do this just over audio. But once we get into these things with the planks and the weights, it really does help to have that visual. So I hope you're in the online ground school or you can find some sort of image to do this. We do have some videos when we get to the procedures, which are in the next lesson. So we'll put those in the next episode's show notes to have some example of videos for you guys. So hang tight on the visuals. But for now, go inside the online ground school, check out this lesson if you have any questions. Okay, guys. So that has been a really long one. I need some water. So I hope you understand it again. If not, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email us at team at parttimepilot.com. And I hope you guys have a great week and I'll catch you next week. I just took my exams and I am so thankful to Nick for being there for me. I am a mother. I'm a professional. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I am a community worker. So given all these roles that I have to fulfill every day, the 24 hours is not enough. And I was at the verge of just giving it up. My dream, it's not my profession. It's just my a wish to be able to be a pilot. So do I have to do this? Can I do this? I was at a point where I thought, when I thought, this is it, I can't do it, maybe in my next life. That's when part-time pilot, I really mean it. I Googled and it popped up, it's called part-time pilot. And I asked my family, should I just send the money and try it? Why not? I tried it. And I'm telling you, money well spent. And I can't tell you, there are so many commercial courses, excellent you know, the kind of theory. They all give you similar theory that you need to pass this test. But what is so special about part-time pilot? Nick is special. He is a great teacher. He never turns you down. He's available on the speed dial. Um, you can text him, you can send him and shoot him an email, you can contact him via Facebook. You know, there was never a time, I really mean it, this is not an ad. I'm just saying it because I'm so grateful for what he has done. And, um, you know, no matter what, how simple the question is, I'm not at all good with math. And I would ask him, how do you do that? And he would simplify that for me. So I really, really want to say this simply because I scored 92%, and that is a great achievement given where I started this journey from, you know. So I would like for 
all those people like me who are out there struggling and second guessing whether you can do this or not please make use of part time pilot and nick will get you there show him your dedication and he will get your dream come true love it nick keep doing what you're doing this is not for money man you're not a commercial guy you're an excellent teacher you teach from your heart and you know this felt um in every session that you run hours and hours the money that you charge me is nothing the hours that you gave me is everything what a lovely knowledge to learn from you all right have a great one guys if you need any help nick is there just jump in and get that part time pilot support so that he can continue to do what he is doing great work great pilot nick take care bye bye guys Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training after Three years, five instructors, and twenty-two thousand dollars, and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, "Don't think, just do"? Now, when I heard this, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is brilliant!" Because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So, now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast, you can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time. fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for bravo clearance or cross country flight planning and flying solo on a cross country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're going to hit a wall you're going to start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens If you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, "Okay, we need to do one-on-one ground lessons." And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead 50, 60, 70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And and the worst part is is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they 
continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24 seven, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, And we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next week.